I'm going to read from the Word today, and uh, as I do, I'm going to ask you to stand as we do read from the Word. Normally, I would be finding a text that uh, relates to Christmas. I, I really, uh, I really, I'm going to find it. I had a different text I'm going to read to you, and uh, I think you're going to recognize why. And it comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, beginning in verse 36. It says, now I want to say something more about this city. He's referring to Jerusalem. You have been saying it will fall to the king of Babylon through war, famine, and disease. But this is what the Lord God of Israel says. There's a difference between what I say and what God says. Never forget that. I will surely bring my people back again from the countries where I scattered them in my fury. I will bring them back to this very city and let them live in peace and safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and mind to worship me forever, for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, promising not to stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me and they will never leave me. I will rejoice in doing good to them and will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. Just as I have sent all of these calamities upon them, so I will also do all the good I have promised. I, the Lord, have spoken. We've had a historic week that has a prophetic implication to us when the decision was made to move our embassy to Jerusalem capital of Israel. And I'm thanking God for that. It's just one of those pieces that keeps falling into place of what God is doing in this day and age. And so I'm thankful for that. And there's a text right there that applies directly into what is happening today. You see, I've always said, this Bible is as current as today's newspaper. And because it tells us what is happening? So let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you that this is truly the day that you have made, <clears throat> and we rejoice in it. Father, we're thankful that we are people of God. We're thankful that we know Jesus Christ. We're thankful that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We are thankful that you abide with us. We are thankful today that you love us and you come alongside of our lives. And so, Father, today I pray, may the mighty power of the Holy Spirit of God open our minds and our hearts unto you, to your word, and, Father, create a community here of worshipers, of those who love the Lord and express that love. And so, Father, today... May, may the Lord himself be lifted up in this place, high and lifted up. And may our focus and our attention be upon Christ the Lord today. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I want you to turn in your Bible to the uh, book of Micah. That's in the Old Testament. Book of Micah. It's kind of a small book. It's easy to kind of flip through it and miss this one. So here you go. I'm going to give you a, a little help right here this morning. So if you open your book about to the middle, you're, you should hit about Isaiah or so. Okay? It goes Isaiah 
Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Okay, if you're there. Joel goes to Joel then. Amos, Obadiah. Je I had to look. Jonah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had these memorized at one point. <laughs> and then if you got to Jonah, next door is Micah. If you went too far, you're in Nahum. You got to back up one. Just turn one page. And we'll talk about it in a minute. What does God want for Christmas? It sounds kind of an odd title, and I've thought about this uh, going back and forth uh, between my home and the church and kind of developing this message. And I think, okay, what, do you, what in the world could I possibly give God, who is the creator of everything, created this universe by simply speaking a word? What does God want from me? What kind of gift can I give God? We're going to talk about that. Uh, today just for a few minutes. I want you to know something that this year in America we are going to spend 682 billion dollars on Christmas gifts. That's what the National Retail Federation is saying, 682 billion, which sort of uh, pencils out to about 983 dollars per capita. So I don't know, you know, if you're spending 983 bucks per capita, and I see a lot of heads going like this, no way, not at our place. <laughs> not at our place either. And I've got four granddaughters. <clears throat> and uh, I have to keep Joan under control in this particular area. <laughs> I gotta keep her out of coals, especially. They give you these ridiculous receipts that says, you just saved $147. And I'll admit, when I was a student at Ames, I, I, did, I did kind of snooze through some of those econ classes, but uh, not that much. It's, I mean, it's free. How can they keep the doors open? It's a lot of money, isn't it? And I think you should be aware that there are only 15 shopping days until Christmas. So uh, get with it. How many are done? You're totally done? Oh, well, there are very few. Okay, this still gives you 15 days to get my gifts, so come on, get with it. <laughs> Make sure that you're looking. <clears throat> 12 years ago, introduced a doll came out called Tickle Me Elmo. And I have a feeling this is coming back. It's having a comeback. Tickle me Elmo. And I think this is, it's about time, right? I think every parent should have one of these in their house. They are annoying. I'm not. <laughs> the other thing was the Cabbage Patch doll. I don't know if they're coming back or not. I see them. Uh, I remember when our girls were little, they had to have Cabbage Patch dolls, home little things, but um, so precious. I remember one time we were in Atlanta, Georgia, visiting friends, and they said, hey, you know these Cabbage Patch dolls, they make them right over here. And so, believe it or not, we, we drove over to this place, and sure enough, there they were, and they had a place just for visitors, mostly. 
and showing how Cabbage Patch dolls are born and everything. Oh, brother. <laughs> Our girls were excited. I was wishing we could get out of there. <clears throat> Giving presents is always a problem, or can be anyway, for, especially for people who have basically everything. I, I mean, it really is kind of an issue. It's kind of a dilemma. And if you love somebody, you want to make sure you get them what they really want and everything. And, and you hope that that's going to be a joyful moment of surprise when they open the gift and everything. But there's another side to that coin, you know. And uh, it's when, they, when you work hard to give them what you think is the, a, a nice gift and all of that, and they unwrap it, and you know what? There's that, there's that tiny pause. It's like a nanosecond. And you, you can see it. You can see it on their face. And, 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 and then the next nanosecond, they're going, oh, it's just what I wanted. <laughs> and you know that, you just know that in that tiny moment of truth, and they say, why, it's beautiful. And you can see something different in their eyes. So what does God want for Christmas? What can I give him that would bring a smile to the face of God? And What is the good news? The good news is we don't have to wander to, or wonder about that answer. And, because I think God has left us with a gift wish list. And we're going to talk about that because... I want you to go to the book of Micah with me to chapter 6, and I'm going to read just three verses here. Micah chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, and it says this, With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the, the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? 10,000 rivers of oil. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. Now Micah is answering these questions. There's kind of a little series of questions there in, in verses 6 and 7. And so Micah's going to answer the, the, uh, the question, the prophet. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before God? It's easy to miss this. You know, Micah is one of the, what is called the minor prophets. Now, that's just a, that's just a name. doesn't mean that Micah's message isn't important at all. I'm telling you, these minor prophets had, I mean, they really pulled no punches in their writing. They were brief. The reason they're called minor prophets is because they didn't write that much. They, you know, when you compare it to Isaiah or Jeremiah, that have 50, 60 chapters in those books. Some of these only wrote one or two chapters. But man, I'm telling you, it was a, uh, a close-fisted punch. And they had quite a message here. Micah lived about 700 years before the birth of Christ. As a matter of fact, in the chapter previous to this, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, I'm going to just read it to you just to show you. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old unto everlasting. Micah said, look, Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. And it always stuns me. It always, it always just boggles my mind just a little bit to realize that <clears throat> the religious leaders of that day, the scholars, the scribes, all of these people, many of these people have memorized vast portions of the Old Testament. They knew what Micah said. They knew there was going to be a Messiah. They knew where he was going to be born, and yet they simply overlooked the whole thing. They ignored it. And it always just sort of, how in the world can that happen? And yet I look today, I look at people today oftentimes, here is the gospel. Here is what God has for you. This is his good news for you. And yet we ignore it. We overlook it. And, uh, you know, all of these things that come along in our mind and our heart. Micah's straightforward in his message here. and had a sharp dislike for corrupt politicians. Boy, wouldn't Micah have something to do today? The situation in Micah's day was threefold. Let me give it to you real quick. First, there was international tension. Israel was surrounded on three sides by the Babylonians, by the Syrians, by the Egyptians. Is that any different than where Israel is today? No difference. It hasn't changed. Except we're 2,700 years past the writing of this, and they're still surrounded by these enemies that have only one thing in common, get rid of Israel. I'm just going to jump into my prophetic teaching tonight at 6.30. They're not going to get it done. God's going to protect that little land. He's going to protect his people. And God is going to deal with this in only the way that God does deal with enemies. And so keep that in mind. So there was international tension. Number two, there was religious corruption. Uh, I tell you, Micah, Micah railed against the religious leaders of his day. They said, uh, he said, they, he called them people who just wanted to say what people wanted them to hear. And that was all that. And he said most of them are on the take. Number three, there was moral chaos. There was cheating, there was bribery, there was corruption everywhere. It looks like Micah picked up the Des Moines Register, read it, and then wrote Micah. Because we see this on a daily basis. And it becomes more and more common, more and more prevalent in our culture. Micah spoke out against it. A world that was facing huge problems. But the biggest of them all was sin. And it was the sin problem that was going to lead ultimately to the judgment of God. Verse 6 and 7 tells us about the wrong answer. The people were, had a wrong answer here. They said, let, me, uh, let us sacrifice a yearling calf. Uh, and, and that would be a prime sacrifice. And they thought God would be pleased if they, <clears throat> if they gave him their very best that we had. Then in verse 7, they start out with this. 
well, maybe the Lord will be pleased with thousands of sacrifice, sacrificial sheep. We'll sacrifice thousands. If God doesn't want quality, then we'll give him quantity. And we'll run thousands of sacrificial sheep in here so that God would be pleased and honored. But that's not what God wanted. Seven. Also again, the people suggested if we offer our firstborn, it's unimaginable in that one. If we offer our firstborn, the Lord would be pleased and forgive their sins. This was rejected. Folks, this is not some kind of, let's make a deal. God, I'll be your guy if you'll do this. I'm your person. I'll be your missionary. I'll be ready to go. You want me single? You want me married? I'm your person. Let's make a deal. I'll read my Bible every day. I'll throw in prayer every day. Listen carefully. Nothing wrong with those things. Nothing wrong at all with those things. The only thing of it is, it deals with the outside. The people were dealing with the outside, and God says, I want to, I want to identify the stuff on the inside of you, and I want to deal with that. What's on the inside of my heart and my life? Not just merely the outside stuff, the exterior. You can be a missionary and still have a hard heart. You can be single, you can be married, and yet you can be far, far away from God. We see that all the time. Verse 8 gives us the right answer. He says, what does the Lord require of you? He says, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. This is what God wants. This is his desire. This is the gift that you can give him. You want to give God a gift? There it is. There's his wish list. There's what can be placed under, if you will, the tree. Justice. <coughs> hey, we're going to learn a little Hebrew today, okay? A little Hebrew. Maybe I'll throw in a little Greek here and there. You like that? This is, this is a church that answers everything. Gives you a Greek and Hebrew lesson. It does not require you to buy a book. The Hebrew for this word justice is mishpat. Say that with me, it's fun. Mishpat, oh great. And it's, you know, this applies to God's character. It's about God's character. It means that he is absolutely fair. He is righteous in all of his dealings. Justice means to treat people right. Listen, because you know God. I'm treating them right because I know God. I'm not treating them right because I think that's a nice thing to do. I'm treating them right because I know God. And I think there's a difference. Justice. In the Bible, this means, by the way, this means a little bit more than what we think it means. In the Bible, it means taking care of the poor, remembering widows, Orphans, speaking the truth, paying fair wages, having honest scales. This is part of the Bible definition. No cheating. And don't take advantage of people. That's Bible justice. And it's a bigger word than what we think of it is uh, often. 
Mercy. Mercy. This is a fun word to say. Hebrew word is hesed. Say it with me. Hesed. Hesed. Oh, no, you didn't say that very good. It, it, it's kind of like you're, it's kind of like you got a, sort of like a hiss of a snake. Hesed. Do it again. Wow, that is kind of creepy there. <laughs> oh, boy, you got into that one pretty good. And, and, and this mercy speaks of loyal love or patient love. It means loving people even when they don't want to love you back. That's not easy, folks. That's not easy. That takes, that takes the help of God. That takes the working of God's Holy Spirit in our life to be able to love somebody that, that wants to stick out their tongue at you. Hesed. Mercy. We see, the, uh, the, we see this move over into the New Testament, uh, and you see it especially, it lines up and rolls out into the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. If you were doing it in Hebrew, it would be hesed are the meek, but in the Greek it's makarios. Now say that one, it's your only Greek lesson of the day. Makarios, there you go. We want makarios. It means to be happy and blissful. Happy are the people who show mercy. Happy are the people who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's what the word means. Literally, happy. Happy and pleased, blissful. Humility is another word that, that's very much expanded. It means, to, it means to act in modesty and act carefully. It's the opposite of pride. It's, it's a matter of having the right, here, here it is, having the right view of yourself because you've got the right view of God. You know, I think this is big today. I think, uh, you know, if I was talking with counselors today and saying, I have a right view of myself because I have a right view of God, do you realize how many, how many appointments could be avoided to a counselor if you have a right view of yourself because you've got a right view of God. And that makes all of the difference in the world. It's just huge, massive differences. Sometimes people come up and say, well, you know, they'll say this. Maybe you've heard something like this too. Maybe you've heard somebody come up to you and say, well, I'm just nothing. You know, I'm just useless. You know, you want to be merciful in that situation, but I'm going to tell you this. That is not humility. That's self-pity. Did you get me? That's not humility to say, oh, I'm just a nothing. I'm just a zero. Look, God didn't go to a cross and die for just nothing and zeros. He died for you because you have value, you have importance, you have, <clears throat> you have the capacity to be loved by God, to be used by God, and that's why he died for you. And so to say, I'm just nothing, I'm just a zero, is self-pity, it is not humility, which is actually then a form of pride. Humility is this, I'm gonna get it up on the screen here and I want you to see it, and um, we're going to see it here real shortly, I think. 
and uh, guys back there do a great job. I mean, I mean, they do a great job, but uh, this is really important. I'm going to read it to you. Okay, I'm going to read it to you, and we'll look at it maybe later. Humility is this, and I want you to capture this, capture the words. God made me, and I belong to him. I thank God for what I have, and I'm doing, I'm going to do the best I can with what God has given me. I will leave the outcome to him. You know, let me tell you something. We're going to do this together as a church. But this thing will liberate you. This thing will liberate you. Read it with me. God made me, and I belong to him. I thank God for what I am, and I'm going to do the best I can with what God has given me. I leave the outcome to him. Hallelujah. That will liberate you. It will set you free. You don't have to worry about how the outcome is going to be as long as you're doing the best you can with what you've got. God is going to be excited, satisfied, and pleased with how you live. Humility helps us to live who we are in Christ, and we don't have to worry what others think about us. What does God want from you this year at Christmas? The answer is, Micah answered us, justice, mercy, humility. If you have these things, I believe this is going to be much pleasing to God, and nothing else really makes any difference, does it? If you don't get Tickle Me Elmo, Blake, you too. I should get you both one so you can just irritate and annoy your parents. Back to Micah for a moment. Why didn't God accept their sacrifices? Well, he turned them down because he only wanted one thing. He wanted their hearts. It's easy for us, isn't it? We, we deal with the outside an awful lot. But God says, I, I just want one thing. I want your heart. I want this. It's who you are. Outward religion <clears throat> is basically useless unless the heart belongs to God. You can fake a lot of religious activity, and there's plenty of that going on, but the heart never lies. And that's why Jesus came. He came because of the heart. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18 simply says, He will declare justice to the nations. Jesus came to establish justice, to show mercy, and to lift up the humble. Could you come back, please? Christina Rossetti is a person I'm not terribly familiar with, but I knew a little bit about her work. She's an English poet who lived about 100 years ago and wrote poetry, and she also wrote some Christmas songs, which we actually don't even sing. She was a good poet. And she wrote something that fits right into this message this morning. What would you give Jesus this year? 
And I believe this is a little song that some of our, some of our younger kids have sung, if I recall. What shall I give him, poor as I am? If I would do a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I was a wise man, I would do my part. What shall I give him? I'll give him my heart. And I think Christina Rossetti hits it right on the, right on the head with what she just wrote there. Ladies and gentlemen, no decision in the world is more important than the decision to know Christ in your heart and in your life. Christ transforms like nothing else. I could give you a new car. I could give you a new house. I could give you boats. I could give you money in the bank and all of these things. And you would get a momentary, temporary, bit of excitement, maybe even happiness, briefly. But it would never, never, never be satisfying like the transformation that God makes in a person's heart and life. And that's how we wrap this service up today. I want you to bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the greatest gift of all, the gift of everlasting life that comes through knowing Jesus Christ as the Savior and the Lord of our life. Father, your word says to those who would receive him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, to those who would believe. Father, help us to believe this morning. Help people in this room to believe on Christ. Help people to make that decision to know Christ, to open their heart. Not just, get, not just getting religious or doing some religious activity, but to truly open their heart to Jesus Christ. Help somebody right now in this service in this very moment to do just that as they begin that simple little process. Help them to follow with me. Jesus, I give you my heart. I ask you to save me from my sin. I admit that I am a sinner and I can't save myself. I can't save, get saved because I'm religious I can't get saved because I belong to the church. I can't save because I'm a good person. I can only be saved to open my heart. This morning in church, I open my heart to Jesus. Come into my heart. Save me from my sin. I repent of it. Not just being sorry for it, but I repent and go a different direction, going toward you. I'm going to live for you. I realize Jesus died for me, and I realize he rose again. Today, by simple, childlike faith, I ask Christ to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. I believe in him and only him for my salvation. 
In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 If you're a guest with us today, I hope that you'll stay for a little bit. We we'll always have some great refreshments out there. And it'll give us a chance as a church to be able to walk up to you and shake your hand and get to know you and everything like that. We'd love to do that. So don't rush off. Don't, go, don't hit the exits. Um, stay for a moment. Would you do that? Stand with me, please. Stand with me. Amen. Let's lift our hands for the blessing of God. Father, may the Lord bless and keep every person in this church. Father, I pray that you'll keep us humble, merciful. Father, help us to be people of justice. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus this morning that you are going to create within us that bright and shining light that, that reaches far out into the darkness of our community and culture. Father, I pray that you'll give us boldness and courage as we leave church this morning. Give us hearts that love one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.